You're listening to Cleveland First Baptist Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Rick Dill. For more information, please visit clevelandfirstbaptistchurch.com. What a great thought. You are my all in all. Um, We come today to worship the one who is the Lamb of God, who is really everything we need. What a great promise. In the previous hour, if you were a part of that Sunday school hour, we uh, looked at one of the strongest New Testament exhortations to worship. The writer of Hebrews drew this analogy from temple worship in the Old Testament and made the statement that Jesus is now our high priest. Through the offering that Jesus brought, his own life, the sacrifice was made that allows us to enter the very presence of God. Then in an urgent plea, the writer of Hebrews says, brothers, And sisters, that is church, family of God, you who believe in Christ, don't neglect the privilege you have to worship. You know, today there is a very strange false teaching that has somehow infiltrated our modern thought about faith. It is the idea that worship is somehow optional for Christians. The idea that faith is somehow individual and does not involve the people of God unless I choose to involve them. The idea that I can be saved but not transformed, redeemed but not changed, that I can have a Savior without a Lord. And that somehow made its way into our worship experience and has sort of transformed much of what is called worship to something that's closer to Christian entertainment. That does not measure up to the standard we find in the Scripture. So I want to take just a few minutes to make a case in point. Keep in mind that Jesus never called anyone to be a Christian, or to say the sinner's prayer. That is not what he called you to do. The call of Christ was to drop everything and become what? A disciple. To follow him. The call of Christ was always to be his disciple. And a disciple is a person who patterns his life after the one he is following. Becoming a disciple always involved becoming an integral part of the church, of the group of people who with you followed Jesus. Now, this is more evident in, this is evident in every biblical analogy given to us that is a picture of the church. The church is what? The family of God. You know, you were born into a family, right? How many of you chose your parents, your brothers and sisters? Not a single one of us. And you have biological family. You have a family even if you don't know them and never do know them. 
You cannot change that fact. Jesus said, be born again. And that meant born into the family of God. That is not optional when you are born. Nobody asks you, you know, while you're still in the womb, now do you want Sister Emma or not? You know, I did hear a lady say the other day, she was with both kids in Walmart and... The, there was a little baby and a four-year-old, and the four-year-old, the, somebody was saying to the little sister, oh, she is so cute, and the little brother said, you can have her if you want her, you know. <laughs> but that is not the way that works. It's not the way it works. The church is also like a human body. It has many parts, but not one of those parts in that body is in that body because of choice. They were made by the Creator and put there. The church is called the temple of God on more than one occasion in the scripture. You know, the temple, it's the building. And and we're told that we are the living stones if we belong to Christ. You know, until a year ago, there was a pile of concrete blocks left to the construction of this building piled up behind the cemetery. I think they have been taken now. But they were never a part of this building. Nobody would have said those blocks, oh yeah, that's the Lady Sunday School class up there piled up behind the cemetery. No. They they should have been in some way integrated. They were not. Because every block in the building, it has a part to play. You can't just take it out. And the church is God's holy nation. Each member a citizen of heaven. I can't be a citizen of any nation without having being a part of the people that formed that nation. So every biblical analogy of the church is given to us in Scripture emphasizes the corporate nature of our faith. In becoming a disciple, we become a part of God's church. It's just not optional. Not an individual decision. It is the work done by the Holy Spirit that lives in us as we follow Christ. So, what does that have to do with worship? Well, worship is the primary task of God's church. We are called to glorify God, to praise Him, to learn from Him, to serve Him, to worship Him. Worship is what we do as Christians, as disciples of Christ. Without a doubt, the transformation that Jesus works in every individual disciple leads them to desire to worship corporately as a part of the people of God. God calls us to worship Him. So in John 4, and you can open your Bibles to that passage, John 4, we read the account of an encounter that Jesus had Uh, with a Samaritan woman who in the middle of the day, it's unusual, had come to draw water from the town well. Jesus talks to her about the fact that he is the Messiah and can actually offer her living water, he says. So the conversation gets personal. She doesn't like that and she tries to change the subject by making a statement about the different places of worship. She says, uh, you know, we Samaritans, we worship here on Mount Gerizim, and you Jews, the Samaritans were half-Jews, 
they, you worship down in Jerusalem. Now, I want us to read together John 4, starting in verse 21. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes from the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? If you skip down to verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus said, I have a kind of food that you know nothing of. Now I want you to skip over to verse 39. The woman returned to her hometown, to the village, and she's telling everybody about what Jesus had said to her. And we read this. Many Samaritans, many people from her town, from the village, believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear the message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves, now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Okay, one of the strongest passages in the New Testament about worship. First of all, Jesus makes very clear that worship is not about physical location. It is not about physical location. When the woman, uh, woman uh, said what she did, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Now, what is the background to that? You know, the place of worship had long been a point of contention between the Jews and the Samaritans. Uh, in fact, the Samaritans had built a, a temple on Gerizim, on that mountain, and about 150 years before Jesus, the Jews had come in and destroyed it. Because the Jews taught that you could only worship in one place, and that is the temple in Jerusalem. And before Jesus came, that was true. Because the Ark of the Covenant, the residing place of God with his people, was in the temple in Jerusalem. This was designated by God as the place worship could take place. Jews were also faithful to go to Jerusalem. You didn't have at that time. You didn't do worship because you couldn't offer sacrifices anywhere but the temple. So you always went to Jerusalem 
for that, that service, for that worship. All right? uh, and the Jews were faithful to go to Jerusalem to do that, but what they were doing was ritual. It was not worship. Do you remember Jesus almost causing a riot when he drove the money changers out of the temple? And he says, my house is to be a house of prayer, and you've made it what? A den of thieves. You know, it was a, a place of commerce, not a place of worship. Jesus made clear worship is not about any building or physical location. You know, after Pentecost, the early believers, they met daily to worship. They worshiped wherever they got together. They worshiped in the temple, in other public buildings, and they worshiped in their homes. The first record we have of a building that was owned by a congregation for the purpose of worship would not come until 250 years after Jesus. Worship is just not about the place. And we have to remember that too. But true worship requires a relationship. Requires a relationship. We read in verse 22, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. So what does that mean to know somebody? We use that expression all the time in the most casual way possible. We are quick to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know him. And what I mean by that is I met him at Walmart at the checkout counter one time. Yeah, I know old Sam, good guy. You know, and I may have shared this. Some Nancy said I shared this once before, but I'm going to share it again. Um, one of the maddest I have ever been, ever in my life, was when I read an article that slandered Nancy's father, who was one of the great saints of the faith, one of the most faithful, loving people I have ever known. And this guy made an accusation about Grady, her father, and said in that two-sentence uh, denunciation, Oh, I know Mr. Neesmith. Well, I got so mad, I just called him. He didn't know me from Adam or I him. And, um, you know, I asked him, How do you know Grady Neesmith? He said, Well, I met him in Montgomery. Oh, I rattled off like a machine gun. And who is he married to? How many children does he have? How old is he? When did he become a follower of Christ? What do you know about Grady? There's just silence on the phone. I said, you don't know him at all. What does it mean to know somebody? Well, in the scripture, the term generally meant intimacy. That was the heart of it. In fact, when man and wife became one and the marriage relationship was consummated, what did you say? He knew her. To know someone was to walk with them. The German language has an expression that says, you can't say you know someone until you've eaten a pound of salt with them. <laughs> The idea being, you got to be with somebody a long time before together y'all have eaten a pound of salt. Jesus says, we worship what we know. 
In other words, we worship out of an intimate relationship with God. When you came to worship today, did you come to fall on your knees before the Lord with whom you have a living relationship? Or are you just casually aware of some facts about him? Do you know him? Because without knowing him, we can't really worship. And thirdly, true worship, true worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. That's what Jesus says. Verse 23 said, You yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So theologians, they have spoken forever of the three great musts of the Gospel of John. Three times that Jesus tells his followers something must be, something must happen, something must be done. Three times. In John 3, 7, Jesus says what? You must be born again. You must be born again. If you, Nicodemus, intend to enter the kingdom of God, there is no other way you must be born again. In the same chapter, he says, the Son of Man must, what? Be lifted up. That is, Jesus must die on the cross. There was no other way to save you and me. And in our verse, he says, true worshipers must worship. One way we know our relationship to Christ is real, that we truly do know him, is a desire and commitment to worship him. For worship is not optional. And he says to worship in spirit. Worship in spirit. Jesus tells us what this worship will look like. And the first thing he says is that it'll be in spirit. This is very important. Jesus said that worship does not take place because of where we are or any form that it should take. Worship does not happen when we sing the right songs or feel the right way. You know, I've heard people say, Well, you know, I just don't feel like I've worshipped. Worship is not a feeling. Worship occurs when your spirit, that part of you that is most like God, because He is spirit, meets Him and praises Him and thanks Him and seeks to glorify Him. That's why you're here. It is to worship Him. And it is not dependent upon form or feeling. It is dependent upon you in your spirit meeting the Spirit of God. Secondly, it will be worship in truth. What in the world does that mean? It means to approach God truthfully. That is, without any spiritual pretense 
Jesus once said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Worship is truth. It's knowing our hearts are open books to the Lord. Jesse prayed something like that. Lord, let us open our minds and hearts, be attentive to what you say. That is how we begin worship. You know, we can't fool God about what is really important to us. Worship in truth always leads to repentance because we are honest about what we are if we're truthful. And worship in truth will be worship based on the Word. It'll be based on the Scripture, on God's Word. Why do I say that? What did Jesus say? Your Word is what? Truth. Your Word is truth. Worship occurs when when we hear God's Word and when we open our hearts to hear it for our lives. And worship is truth means that worship is in Christ. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So how many ways are there to God? One. Just one. Only through him. Only Jesus leads us to the Father. So what does that mean? We come only to God through Christ, through his sacrifice, through his blood, through what he poured out of himself on Calvary to cleanse us from sin. It is the cross that makes worship possible and the cross that will always be central in our worship. And then Jesus says something that we really shouldn't miss because this ought to touch your heart. Jesus says, they are the kind of worshipers that God seeks. You got to let that sink in. God is looking for people to worship Him with honest hearts. That is, those who genuinely want to live in a relationship with Him. He seeks your worship. He desires that you come into His presence. That that is a great compliment. And then finally, when we meet Jesus in worship... It changes us. It changes us. We read in verse 28, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see this man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They, the townspeople, said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now that we have seen him and heard him for ourselves, And we know that this man, we know he really is the Savior of the world. When we meet Jesus, we never go away untouched. We will always be changed. Always. Our hearts will be filled. We will be brought to repentance. We will be called to a deeper commitment to him. If we go home like we came, we have not worshipped. 
because you cannot encounter the presence of God and not be changed. We have not met with the risen Lord. I'd like to ask you to do something. You know, this is a, an important topic. It is our central task as the church is to glorify and worship Him. And that means that for you, the primary thing God calls you to do, He may call you to be a preacher or to be a missionary or a Sunday school teacher. He may call you to do a hundred things in your life. But the primary thing He calls you to do is worship Him, to glorify Him with all that you are. So I'm going to ask us, I'm going to ask Nancy if she doesn't mind just to play quietly, but I'd like for us to spend a time in quiet prayer. And I'd like for you mentally to picture coming before the throne of God and just falling before Him and worshiping Him. Talk to Him. Ask Him to help you be a better worshiper. Seek to focus on what He wants to do in your life. Would you do that? And then I want to close that time of prayer. Let's do that. Father, we thank you for the unbelievable privilege and call that we've received from you to to come into the Holy of Holies, into your very presence. Lord, we are overwhelmed by our own sin. And we ask you, Father, to cleanse us. We thank you, Lord, for 
choosing to come and to die for us so that we can know you and know you intimately and personally. Lord, we thank you for calling us to be a part of your family, your temple, your body, to be a part of a people who follow you. Lord, we ask you to help us as we gather to worship you with all of what we are. Father, forgive us when we are distracted and live our lives as though you weren't there. Help us to live in your presence all of the time. Jesus, we thank you that you loved us enough to call us to come before you, and we do that joyfully. We give thanks for all that you do and all that you are. And we praise you, Lord. Amen. We're not going to have an invitation as such today, but I want you to remember, there is never a time when you are not invited into the presence of God. In fact, God seeks you. He seeks for you to be in His presence. As you go through this week, if God has spoken to you and you want to come into His presence and are struggling with that, I hope you'll call. Because that means He's speaking to you personally. He's there for you.